Sarah Streming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. Casey Coughlin of Inspiration Canine. She's an agility competitor and an excellent dog trainer, and we are going to discuss what it means to be a crossover trainer. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Um, this term, crossover trainer, is kind of one of those terms that dog trainers have kind of invented, so I'm going to go over what I think it means. Um, if you feel like it means anything different, feel free to interrupt me at any given time and then we'll kind of talk over, talk about what it means to be a crossover trainer to us um a crossover trainer is basically a trainer who started out in you know maybe more aversive methods of dog training or aversive tools were on the table for them and they kind of crossed over to more positive reinforcement based training because there are so many different fields of training so many different types of training um, a crossover trainer usually is somebody who transitioned from using um, more aversive methods or tools to using primarily positive reinforcement based tools. I'm a crossover trainer and Casey is too. So Casey, will you first tell us a little bit about yourself and then let us know what your crossover story is? Sure. Uh, So I grew up really showing and competing nationally um, in horses. So my main discipline there was kind of Western-type horse training. So from a young age, I was kind of shown that animals do or else. Um, So that was kind of just normal in my mind that if there's a problem, we fix it and... Um, that's not saying that my horses were really abused or mistreated in any way, but on a scale of how abusive horse training can get, it was probably more on, on the nicer side, but it was still really hard on them. And so that's where I came from, just this kind of idea of, manipulating an animal to perform a job better in a human's perspective. I think it's really important what you said about you wouldn't necessarily consider what you were doing to be abusive or awful. It's it's just, it almost had a different motivation behind it. It was the animal has to do what you want it to do. Right. There was first, there was number one, like safety involved because horses are so much bigger than us. Um, and obviously having kids around horses is pretty dangerous, can be potentially dangerous. So there was definitely a kind of intimidation factor that was presented to them about if you're scared, you better not jump on me. You better not step on me because you're, you're going to hurt somebody. And then aside from that, there was definitely, um, once I got into a more competitive field, um, a lot of manipulation of like a horse's body to 
have the result that we were looking for. So, for example, horses were like tied back to their saddles. They were maybe tied with their heads up in an arena. And I mean, that was definitely neglect and not great. Um, but we all loved our horses, took excellent care of them in our opinion. And generally, like I loved my horses. Yeah, I think sometimes, um, especially on the positive reinforcement side of things in dog training, um, people can get a little bit accusatory maybe of the way some dog trainers are doing things and they might claim that people don't necessarily care about their dogs um, because of certain methods and tools that they're using. And I think it's important for us to remember that that's certainly not true. Anybody who is involved in training dogs or horses loves the animal that they're working with. There's really no other reason to train them. If you don't care about them, you don't train them. Um, so talk a little bit about dogs because you're a dog trainer now, not a horse trainer. <laughs> yeah. So I got my first puppy, um, when I was 21 and I was still working on a farm. He was a farm dog puppy from a neighbor, um, that was close by. And, um, he certainly was raised with kind of an ideal situation. He was loose all day on a lot of property and had jobs that he created for himself and, for his first year everything was great and so I actually didn't have to use a lot of aversive methods with him because all his needs were basically taken care of um and I still lived under the whole feeling of like you come here or else but there wasn't a lot of those situations because he was always tired and enriched and it was generally pretty easy um, I moved back home, um, when he was around a year old and that's when I started getting into trick training and, um, more like suburban things for him to do, um, cause he was used to a really active life. And at around that same point I did rescue, um, uh, English Mastiff, a female, and she was about 10 months old. And... She's really who changed everything for me because when I got her home, she was um, a resource guarder of me and um, her environment. So Riley, who was my farm dog, would walk up to me sitting on the couch and she would jump on him and bite him. And so at that point, I was thinking that she didn't respect me, she didn't respect him, and that I needed to essentially tell her off for it and would quite literally alpha roll a 140-pound mastiff onto the ground. <laughs> I know, it's, it's so outrageous. ridiculous. <laughs> um, what's outrageous is that it's recommended all the time. People are doing this every day. Somebody's doing it right now. And what's really amazing is right that now. she never retaliated. I know, she was sweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was just under the impression that this is what you do. Sophie's going to bite Riley, and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to handle it. And she's going to essentially lay there and think about what she did. 
and then it's going to go away because she's going to know if she reacts like that, I'm going to do this. So that went on for way too long and nothing was changing. She might not bite him for the rest of the night, but it certainly wasn't solving my problem. Their relationship was broken because of it. Um, my relationship with her was pretty broken about it and she did have a lot of other phobias. So she was really sensitive to people and strangers and strange dogs and um, she just didn't handle environmental change well at all. And I was under the impression that I needed to get up and walk her around the neighborhood and she would literally like flinch at every car door and person and then I would take her hiking and she like literally would go and like hide in the woods if people were coming and then come back out when they were gone. So she had a lot of... Oh, poor baby. <laughs> I know. She had a lot of other things that were also going on that I just hadn't really fully been aware of. Yeah. So nothing was improving. And I remember just reading an article by Victoria Stowell that was about removal training. So, and I had been really apprehensive to do that because I believed that timeouts don't work and that... And what is removal training? So, the dog does whatever unwanted behavior. You immediately get up, interrupt the behavior and remove the dog to another part of the house or it's to a crate or somewhere that's So away. essentially you do give them a timeout. Right, it's a timeout. <laughs> it's it's for the listeners, Casey. It's a timeout, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, this was huge for me because I thought that dogs don't understand timeouts and they're not kids and whatever. So I was like... Well, what I'm doing is not working, so I will just go ahead and try it. It's not going to hurt anything. So I did that. The next time she got Riley, I just stood up. I just supposed to say, you know, according to this article, just say no in a, like, nice voice. Just, like, no, interrupt it. Take her by the collar. And I had, like, a, a room that was off of our living room that had a couple of stairs down. And so I would just put her down there. I'd put a gate at the top of the stairs. And she would just be down there for basically five minutes or less. And she um, would just sit down there and look up and, and wait until I came back for her. Um, and I literally did that three times at most. And she stopped biting him. So that was the first eye-opening experience where I was like, hmm, maybe I am... Kind of getting this wrong. <laughs> Maybe physical <laughs> violence isn't the way to get things done. And truthfully, you know, a timeout's a punisher too. Right. It just doesn't involve physical violence. It was just so a it's step. probably still not even what you would choose today. Correct. But it was a step in the right direction. Right. It was a huge step. And because it worked, it was an enormous step right. for you. So, how did things evolve from there? Did you start to change other things that you were doing? Because you weren't, were you involved in agility at that time? No, I wasn't in agility yet, but agility was down the pipeline. I was playing a lot of frisbee with Riley and starting to train tricks 
So I was starting to understand a little bit more about how to use positive reinforcement. Um, but some things I immediately switched is I started giving her access to put herself away. So if we had people around, um, before I would like basically force her to stay in the situation. So I'd start allowing her to go upstairs if she wanted to get away. I switched her from a choke collar to a gentle leader. Um, she stopped walking in the neighborhood. We just went on hikes with either friends, dogs, or by ourselves. Um, and unfortunately, she ended up with a couple of injuries. So her life kind of was a little bit on the smaller side as far as experiences because she couldn't physically go um, a lot of places. But definitely hiking was always her favorite activity. And she ended up having, when she passed away, good relationships with people that she knew and a lot of dogs. So. Um, Which is huge. Yeah. That's really all we can ask for, for a dog's life. A way I better think. relationship with me. Yes. For sure. And then, when you first started out training Riley in agility, um, did you find the methods to be primarily based in positive reinforcement? Um, or did you find it to be mixed? Or what was your experience there? Well, big thing for me training agility was that I finally realized that you can't make a dog do this. Like yeah. they're not going to run faster yeah. because you're saying do it faster or else be more accurate or else you can't say that. Right. So just having the experience of using toys, using food, um, using play, like that was just a huge amount of experience for me that I didn't have at that point. Um, and I remember shaping for a little while was like seriously stressful for me and I would get so mad at him. I think so many crossover trainers trying shaping or clicker training for the first time experience that. Yeah. And it, I had already pretty much switched over and realized that this is a reward. This isn't a bribe. So I was doing good in that category, um, which is why I hear from people all the time. They don't want to bribe. Um, but I would train him for like these long stretches of time. This poor creature. He was absolutely the best animal in the whole world. A long time shaping <laughs> tricks. And I would get so upset when he was like making progress and then clearly it's been like 10 minutes, you shouldn't still be doing this. And he would start failing and I was, oh my gosh, it was, it was horrible. But <laughs> it gave me so much experience that things go better. Yeah. Without any hate <laughs> and violence and, and anger and, and so today because what you're talking about you're talking about frustration right yeah. and today do you never get frustrated in training well of course not exactly <laughs> and how do you respond now well do you feel that same 
kind of anger that used to bubble up? No, because now I know I can find the answer. Aha. So now if things aren't going my way, I stop. I understand more about what is actually happening. And I change my plan, get a new plan, figure it out. And I don't ask my dogs to do anything now that I know makes them seriously uncomfortable. Or even when training, I'm not really putting them in a position where they're going to be uncomfortable about safety or something like that. I think something that we just kind of touched on is really, really important for dog trainers to remember. Because I remember, too, um, when I was learning dog training, and I'm a crossover trainer, too, um, I remember feeling that same frustration and then subsequent anger at the dog. And the answer to that, the solution to that, is more knowledge. You said the reason you don't have the same response to frustration is because you know your way out of it now. You now know whatever the problem is, you can figure out the solution and that there is a solution to all things. There is a solution. I think there's so much mythology in dog training. There's so much, um, you know, well, this kind of dog is special and therefore can be XYZ competitor, whatever. This kind of dog isn't. And there's so much mythology surrounding it and so much folklore and so much just... Like, you have to use a force fetch, for instance, to have a reliable retrieve and competitive obedience is, to me, part of, like, the mythology of competitive obedience. People believe really, really strongly in it. When you, and so when you take the force fetch away from them, when you say, no, let's clicker train your retrieve, the first time they're in a situation where They've maybe asked the dog for too much or pushed the dog too far and the dog fails to retrieve. That's a make or break moment because what they would have done before is the ear pinch. What they would have done before is force the dog. And there's two kinds of trainers in this moment. There's a trainer who has the background knowledge to say, no, I'm going to do this instead of force fetch. And then there's a trainer who just gets pissed and frustrated and they do the force fetch anyway. And I think what's really important there is instruction. And that if we, we both teach people to train dogs professionally. And so when you have somebody in front of you who's trying to change or trying to do things better, or even they don't even know if it's better, but they're trying to fix a problem that they have, we have to recognize that they don't have the background knowledge. And so at some point, they're going to feel that frustration and we have to feel empathy for them and make sure that we're there to give them the solution so that they don't revert back to whatever else. Because you weren't alpha rolling Sophie because you didn't like her. Right. You certainly weren't doing it because it was fun for you. I can't imagine. <laughs> I don't even know how physically you did it, but you were doing it because you were afraid of what she was doing you were afraid she was going to hurt Riley. 
It's scary to see aggression, and that's all you knew how to do. Right. Like, the only thing I was feeling was either scared or frustrated. I was scared, and then result feeling from that is anger. I'm angry at myself. I'm angry at her. Um, maybe even at Riley for coming over yeah. in the exact moment yeah. where he knows she's going to go after him. Um, so, I mean, that's a really good point. It's, it's all harbored in those emotions and that's why I feel for my clients now. They, yeah. they are all either scared or frustrated and they're all doing the best with what information they have in that moment. I was just doing the best that I could with the information I had to try and solve my problem. And so I love it when people come to me and they tell me all of their myths, you know, in the first first visit. Or first 30 minutes that you're talking about and they say that, my dog has a dominance problem. Yep doesn't respect I'm me. I'm here for you to fix this dominance problem that I have. And I say, great, here's your, here's your treat pouch. And you, exactly. <laughs> and you don't spend an hour debunking. Right. I just show them. You just show them better. what to do instead. And they all figure it out. Because if you just stand there and bash or you stand there and tell them how they're wrong, where do you get, what are you achieving? Nothing, because you're making them be... Put up walls and push away right, from you, be right? Embarrassed, just be embarrassed. Be embarrassed. Be defensive, just as you would be. Exactly. So I totally get that. Um, and then bringing it back to agility, this is, this is where our sport needs to change. We're all still frustrated. <laughs> yeah. And angry. Dog comes in off of a jump and spins and barks at us. We feel... I mean, we're mad. We feel anger. <laughs> I mean, when your dog knocks the last bar, you're, you know, it's a natural response. You're disappointed. And you're frustrated because, yes. let's be honest, he just drops that bar to ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. All of our dogs only ever knock bars to ruin our day. Exactly. I think in agility, it's important to know that when you feel frustrated, it's the same as all these other scenarios that we've talked about. Frustration is this lack of information. It's this lack of knowledge and understanding. So you feel it, but then if you know where the solution lies, you don't have to feel it for very long. And if you're feeling frustrated, your dog is 100%. Frustrated. Also feeling frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I see this now in my foundations classes. I, I have a couple of foundation classes going on. And and you can, you can see it when you're standing on the outside watching a team. I think it's really difficult when you're the team to always identify yep. it. Yep. But the dogs don't want to actually do anything wrong. Because do they even know what wrong is? <laughs> exactly. They want to do what gets them to reinforcement. Right. Period. So it's it's really sad, especially seeing young dogs who have absolutely no idea what the game's about. And they're 
you know, it, foundations is tough because people are also learning. Yeah. And so when you're learning at the same, in the same process as your dog is learning, it's really hard because you're making tons of mistakes. Yeah. Which is why what I've heard, I have no experience in horse training, but I've heard that a much more common practice is to put a green rider on an experienced training exactly. horse. Exactly. You don't put a green rider on a green horse. It's a disaster. And really it's because the green rider will die. It's a disaster. In dog agility, nobody dies, pretty much. Right. So we just throw green handler, green dog in it together, whereas a better situation is to really not... I mean, the other thing that Horse World has that dogs don't is really, like, professional catch riders. Yeah. Like a like a handler for confirmation. Mm. Like, someone that is a professional takes your horse and competes with them, and that's common practice. Yeah. So you might have your own classes, but someone else is then also competing in another division with them. And... That was one of the biggest adjustments for me. It's like, I have to do this all for myself. You can't just hand your dog over to someone and expect it to go great just because they're whoever they are. Right. In the same way that you can just hand over reins to a horse. Right. And it mostly is typical that's going to go better than if you were yeah, doing and I, the riding. I've definitely heard of... I know you've got a client right now that's experiencing this. I know I frequently have clients who experience this. Um, They're frustrated with their dog, and so then, you know, their friend runs their dog. Or maybe their instructor runs their dog. And then they see their dog suddenly doing brilliant. Suddenly doing amazing on course. And then that's actually just serves to frustrate them further. Because it really demonstrates that they are the problem, right? And what I want to say is, of course, though, they're doing better. Just like you can hand the reins to this professional rider and they can get something done in competition that you can't get done. Why wouldn't that be different in dogs? And so I guess for people, you know, whether or not you let somebody else run your dog is completely up to you and your choice. Um, I've made a mistake as an instructor before of training student of running students dogs um, in classes to maybe demonstrate a point and um, it's not it's not really a great idea I don't think from an instruction standpoint because you're again not showing them how to communicate you're just showing them that it can be done well and the opposite of that is that it's a hot mess and then yes. they're they're validating to themselves because that happens too, right? Send he can't wrap. Right. He I can't knew it. Collect. The dog has the anti send gene. And they're not going. And they're just not going to send. And they won't even go for you. So yep. It's and they have the anti collection gene. So there's really no good coming out of it if it's successful or not. It's true. It's yeah, not that much good coming out of it. Um, as a, you're not just a crossover trainer in the same sense that I don't think I'm just a crossover trainer either. Um, there's a big difference between a positive reinforcement based trainer and then a trainer who's really, truly committed to best practice at all times. 
because I think that, and I, you know, that's kind of going down maybe a topic for a different podcast, but I do think that there are def- definitely different levels and calibers of trainers in every faction of the field. Right. But you're not just a person who's crossed over to positive, re- positive reinforcement. You're a person who has taken it upon herself to learn as much as possible and apply and really practice dog training as an applied science. Um, and so in the sport of dog agility, where do you see, where do you see that coming into play for you that it's maybe not coming into play, um, for everyone? Because I think agility prides itself on being, um, a pretty positive sport. Mm -hmm. And it, that relates back to what you said earlier, which is that you can't make them be fast. Right. You got to inspire them to be fast. And we need them to be fast. So we pretty much stopped being too nasty to them a while ago. Because we needed them to be fast. <laughs> right. Right? Exceptions to everything, of course. But we pretty much did. By and large, in dog agility, people are not being as ugly to dogs as they are in, say, competitive obedience. Right. Which is, I have a lot of experience in that sport, so... I can definitely say firsthand there's a lot of stuff going on there that I don't think is beneficial, um, but is still woven into the mythology of that side. But I think that there are things woven into the mythology of agility that are also not helpful. Um, are there any kind of big changes that you've made kind of to your foundation training that go along with that? You know, in my classes, I've been so lucky because I've gotten, like, a huge amount of diversity in just, like, a year of teaching. Um, I'm really thankful for that, and I've been lucky enough to have some really open-minded students who don't know what's exactly best, but want the best for their dogs. So they're really open to, like, me telling them to keep feeding their dogs even though they're barking their heads off on the side of the ring or where right. someone right. would have said, no, she needs, you know, to be told off or dragged into the viewing room or whatever. Um, so I am really lucky that I have some great students that are willing to go along with my ideas about things. But a game changer... It's honestly been just applying markers in my classes and kind of forcing everybody to try that. I mean, so you're and... forceful with your humans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're not going to say gently bowl, encouraging, <laughs> I'm going to scream bowl. So if you're not going to say the marker, <laughs> I'm going to. Um, Perfect. And I really just I think that what the problem is is that. Re, um, agility is so reinforcing to people too mm-hmm. and so everyone wants it to go well and everyone has the same high from it going well and like everyone wants to run the full course and they want to have a fast dog and they really want it to go positively so when there's so much at play emotions of two animals timing of two animals, training of two animals, it's really difficult. So 
the but the key is just honestly telling the dog always where reinforcement's coming from and mm-hmm. as soon as that starts happening the spiral of over arousal it's it's so much better when you're just straightforward about like okay i'm probably gonna mess up this then but the bowl of food's still there so you don't have to worry about it right (laughs) because they're not worried about the send they're not worried about the sequence they have no idea what the sequence is what they're worried about is their reinforcers and when they're getting their reinforcers that's what they're worried about yeah and the i mean the worst thing is that we and i mean i've done all this too i still do it i still catch myself all the time you have that moment where you're like casey left foot i know and the dog's like "Ah." and then your dog's like i'm gonna bite you because i did a job and you're looking at the ground now with the toy in your hand give me the toy and and really i think agility is changing agility is going from withholding to just giving and that's that's going to be great for everybody totally um, being liberal with reinforcement, right? <laughs> be a giver. Be a giver. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think we've gone, we're moving towards just getting away from frustration and just, you know, a lot of handling systems are coming into play that are more natural for dogs just in general. And things that they respond to with motion um, and position and everything. And then we're just going to add in being more generous to them and everything's going to get better. Um, But to bring it back, foundation students are getting farther, faster, with less frustration on everyone's part by their just being clear markers and mechanics in play. And we all tend to skip that because we're all so excited about playing agility. Yeah. So we're like celebrating when things are going right and we're screaming, yay, good girly, da-da-da. And we forget to say take and then a dog comes over and bites our hand and then we get mad. Don't you get bit a lot less (laughs) using clean markers? I get bit 0% of the time now by telling my dog how I'm going to give them a toy. What percent of the time were you getting bitten before? You started using clean markers. Probably like 70% of the time. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Oni just really wants that toy. And he knows when you're screaming, yay, they're coming for the toy. It was super funny because you got bit by my dog the other day. Because you (laughs) set a marker. But you were just meaning to praise. And so he came in to grab the toy and you were like, ow. And I was like, well, don't say that word. Things that should be explained ahead of time before I say, here, try it. Show yeah. me what you mean. Here's my dog. Here's a toy. <laughs> Get it done. <laughs> Run my dog. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... It is It is getting better. And once it's common, then it won't blow everyone's mind so much. One, Yeah, once clean marker systems are common, it won't blow everyone's minds. Because it does blow everyone's minds at first. It blew my mind. It blew mine. 100%. Yeah. I was saying, 
yes and then throw because I needed to say yes. Because that's what I say when he does something correct. Yep. I remember you telling me I'm like running through positions. I'm like, sit, yes, down, yes. And I said, guess what? You could just say the next cue because the next (laughs) cue is a reinforcer too. Um, And I think people are just really, they're really, what blows their mind most is that you can say throw and that's permission to like leave what you're doing. So to break position and people don't like that. They want a sit stay with a release okay or they want a two on two off because they don't understand that okay is no different than throw right yeah i didn't understand it either it's okay it works it is okay that was my friend casey you can find her at her website inspirationk9.com or on facebook with inspiration canine llc i hope you'll check her out she's pretty great Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.